Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to bear one another's burdens in Jesus' name. Amen. The yoke is hard because the teachings of Jesus are radical. Enemy love, unconditional forgiveness, extreme generosity. The yoke is easy because it is accessible to all. The studied and the ignorant, the rich and the poor, the religious and the non-religious. Rachel Held Evans said that. No one climbs a spiritual ladder in order to get to heaven. We do not gradually become holier and holier until we don't need God anymore. Because if we could do that, then God would have never had to have sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to save us. I know we all want to help God. We want to prove we're worthy of being saved. We want him to know that we understand how hard it must have been to have done all that he did for us. Or maybe we want to try to pay him back. But that's not how salvation works. You see, the way salvation works is we die, and then God resurrects us. When we die, sin doesn't have power over us anymore. You can be mad at a dead person. You can yell at a dead person. You can say whatever you want, think whatever you want about a dead person, but they are free from any rules, laws, expectations, or debts because they are dead. The Bible says when Jesus resurrects us, we are a new person, a new creation, Our debts are paid, our past forgiven and forgotten, at least as far as God is concerned. On July 4th, the headline on CNN read, Why the U.S. does not get to assume it lasts forever. Let's face it, 250 years is pretty good because a lot of nations didn't even make it to 100. And CNN is right. Even if all they were actually trying to do was push people's buttons in order to get a reaction. Our country was founded on the premise of freedom. Statue of Liberty, the land of the free and the home of the brave, the Declaration of Independence. And while that freedom rarely applied to all people, it was at least the stated goal of our nation. 250 years later, our quest for freedom is what's tearing us apart. Whether it's arguing over the First or Second Amendment, the debt ceiling, the powers and limitations of the executive, legislative, and judicial branches, the expectations of people, We are pushing our freedom beyond any limits that were ever imagined by our founding fathers while deflecting at the same time any personal or corporate responsibility. Abraham Lincoln was quoting Jesus when he said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. But perhaps more fitting for us today is Winston Churchill's statement, Democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others that have been tried. And the church is no different. We are and have been at war with ourselves ever since Jesus went back to heaven. Despite Jesus' final prayer before the crucifixion that we become one the way that he and the Father were one, we haven't done a very good job. It's as though we're trying to see how many different ways we can interpret a single verse. And by the way, anybody who disagrees with us, well, they're wrong. And God hates them because we hate them because we're perfect. I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus had in mind. A lot of the problem is there is so much of the Bible that is unrelatable to those of us who live in 2023. How can we be faithful to God's word? I mean, I love Psalm 23, but I'm not a shepherd, so I'm not sure I totally get what David is trying to say in there. I'm also not a farmer or a fisherman, so some of Jesus' parables have me scratching my head. And to be honest, I have never felt like I needed to sacrifice a bull or a goat for any of my sins. Uh, burning down my house because I found some mold. Let's face it, I just use Clorox. 
and stoning somebody or putting a red tent in the backyard or making a yearly pilgrimage to the Holy Land for a sacrifice? Not at all on my radar. When St. Paul says the good I am supposed to do, I do not do, and the evil that I am not supposed to do, I find myself doing, well, that's something I do understand, though. How about you? Are there things about your life that you don't understand? Cravings, needs, desires, wishes, hopes, dreams that tend to get you and your life a little bit sideways? Taylor brought up Galatians 5.1 last week. For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. We should all have that verse made into a poster and put it on the wall of our office, our bedroom, on the front door, the living room, the kitchen. We should put it everywhere except for the fact that, to be bluntly honest, it wouldn't do us any good. You see, as much as we want to believe that we just need a little more willpower or courage, maybe one more seminar, maybe one more self-help book, and we'll conquer all of our demons, we need to accept the fact that we are not in control. Sin is more powerful than we are. An original sin, uh, the one that we was infused with at the moment we were conceived, it knows exactly which buttons to push to get us sideways. So much of what we call church today has been turned into a sin management program. And I know we need to fight addiction at all its forms. It has damaged and hurt far too many people and families and communities. But if the church is going to offer addiction counseling, and sin management programs, it's a sideline, not our primary ministry. See, the church in its purest form was created to deal with sin and death. Addiction is a symptom, not the disease. The specific sins we commit, again, symptoms, not the disease. And if all we do is treat the symptom, we will fail. We live in a culture that thrives on being worthy of winning, of being the best, so much so that everyone has to be a winner even if they didn't win. We hide our weaknesses, find shortcuts, change the rules, do whatever it takes to feel good about ourselves. When CNN stated the U.S. does not get to assume it lasts forever, it stated the obvious, but it didn't really go into depth as to why. Look at all the things being pushed and accepted and changed. And by the way, the reason behind all that pushing and accepting and changing is so that we can create the perfect society, one where everyone gets to do whatever they want, be whatever they want, and there are no consequences. You know, the world's been trying to do that. It's been trying to create this perfect society since it stepped off Noah's Ark. I remember in college having to read The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, and even back then in the 70s and 80s, it really wasn't that hard to, well, to see how close the United States and Rome are in so many ways. Yeah, those who don't learn history are doomed to, yeah, repeat it. So much of what I was taught in school, things like Manifest Destiny, the Puritan work ethic, evolution, it's actually failed us. Uh, failed us because we're trying to change things that are actually beyond our control. We are always looking for prophecies that we agree with. And by the way, those prophecies say that we deserve to be rich and famous and powerful and do whatever we want. We're looking for excuses to prove our failures were not our fault. We, We want to be able to blame nature or cosmic forces from keeping us from reaching our potential. Or we're worried that somehow those forces are going to put us into a wash, rinse, repeat mode until we finally get it. And we're not allowed to take that next step until we totally get it. And as far as being able to do anything we want to be, 
Well, we should really stop and think what that means. The source of our problems cannot be the solution to our problems. See, no matter how hard we try or how many magic potions we speak or how many years we live, we are not going to be able to save ourselves, let alone save our world. And if you just need proof, how long have we been at this trying to fix everything? And yeah, I'm pretty sure things are worse off today than they've ever been. When I was a vicar, our church sponsored an Alcoholics Anonymous group. I asked my supervisor if I could go sit in on a meeting, and I was really surprised when he said, no, you're either part of the community or you're not. Outsiders aren't welcome unless they're ready to become insiders. You are either ready to both accept the group, failures and all, and bear your own soul, or you're not. No looky-loos. Because AA is not based on worthiness or trying hard or evolution. It is based solely on the ability to embrace your failures. All of us are addicts. We're all addicted to something or a bunch of somethings. Some of those things are good things. Some are not so good, and some are, well, pretty destructive. Anytime we try to fix our problems and the solution involves anything other than putting God back at the center of our life, we're going to fail. That's what St. Paul is talking about today. When he says, try all you want, <laughs> we can't do it. We need Jesus. When Paul cries out, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? What he's really asking is, is there anything past our death and suffering and pain? Is there any answer that doesn't end when my credit card is maxed out? Or I get too old in order to be able to do the things I felt like I needed to do? Or I get tired of telling myself, you look marvelous, when I know that I don't feel very marvelous. See, there's only so much that self-esteem and ego and rah-rah speeches can do. How often do you use the word tyranny? I can't even remember the last time I used it except that I just said it, but I think you know what I mean. The word was very popular with the founding fathers of our nation. Winston Churchill loved the word. The word is defined as unjust, cruel, or oppressive power. You know, if we analyze our spiritual situation, who's the tyrant? Oh, Satan for sure. But I sometimes wonder if I'm not just as much of a tyrant as Satan, only in a different way because of what I expect of myself when it comes to this whole thing. See, whenever my life is messed up and the good that I should do, I do not find myself doing, I usually start with excuses, reasons that it's not my fault. And by the way, that usually means it's somebody else's fault, right? Then I move on to that other person or those other people and all the things that are wrong with them and they'll let me count the ways. After the initial emotional outburst and anger have faded, that's when I start to put a plan together. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work longer. I'm going to be more of whatever it is that I need to be. Oh, and then I get around to saying a prayer, which is usually something along the lines of, dear God, help me, amen, and then I get back to work. Have you ever used something other than a screwdriver or a hammer for something that actually requires a screwdriver or a hammer? How'd that work for you? I mean, sometimes you do get the job done, but other times you wind up buying a new cell phone. The gospel offers to let God do for us what only God can do for us. Oh, we can try other things, God says, but it's not going to work. Jesus never said God helps those who help themselves. 
If we really want to experience freedom from our pains and addictions and problems of sins, it's only going to come from admitting that we're a mess, that our will, no matter how strong it might be, can't save us. You see, confronted with our sins and our failures, we no longer need to defend or deny or explain or run away because we are no longer under the tyranny of the human will. We died. Jesus brought us back to life as a new person. That's a game changer. See, the burden or tyranny of tyranny is not only that it is futile, it is also exhausting, which is why the first commandment has, has us come before Jesus and lay it all before the cross at least once a week. And, and by the way, I, I know we like to say that we're free from the law, but you know the law was put there not to condemn us so much as it was to free us. It condemns us when it needs to, but it's there to free us. And, you know, if we stop coming to God's house, stop spending some time just saying, God, I need to tell you what's going on in my life, we're the poor for it. Do you know what the foot of the cross looked like that Friday that Jesus died? The ground was soaked with sweat and blood. Jesus blood and sweat. This is important because if our sins and failures and pains and problems are going to be forgiven, you can't just snap your fingers and say they're forgiven. Total and complete forgiveness means that the account has been balanced. In other words, somebody actually paid off what we owed. There can't be an outstanding debt because if our sin has not been paid for, if God just said, oh, I forgive you, but, but nothing actually changed, then God can always bring it up and demand we make restitution at a later date. He can hold our sins over our heads forever and ever. Not good. The cross allows us to lay our burdens on holy ground where human ambition was allowed to play itself out to its logical conclusion. Yeah, that didn't work so well for us, did it? We lay our burdens on ground soaked with Jesus' blood and sweat, the price that Jesus was willing to pay in order to save us. We lay our burdens at the feet of God made flesh, a God who loves us so much that he couldn't and wouldn't imagine heaven without us, and so he came to save us. We lay our burdens down because we cannot carry them even one more step, but he can. Jesus says the weary and heavy laden come to him because he is the only one who can carry their burden and carry them. You see, it's not just about carrying our burdens, it's also about him carrying us. We can stop with the sin management programs and futile exercises and willpower because it will eventually wear us out and leave us alone and powerless and crushed under the weight of, believe it or not, ourselves. Kingdom of heaven is all about Jesus. And when Jesus stands on the corner and cries out, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, you need to know he's going to keep crying out until you hear him. Now, he knows you may choose to turn a deaf ear or let it go in one ear and out the other. Or plug your ears and go, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I can't hear you. But God still wants you to know he loves you. And so he's going to keep crying out because he really does love you. When Jesus said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, he was talking to the rich and the poor. He's talking to the lost and the found, the churched and the unchurched. He's talking to the bride on her wedding day or the old man who sits alone in front of his TV. He talks to the child who cries herself to sleep. The homeless man sleeping in the dumpter, dumpster. He even talks to Kansas City Chiefs fans. He was seeing all of us. There is no one excluded from this amazing gospel promise. So what happens when you lay all your burdens at the foot of the cross? 
I wish I could tell you that instantly and magically your life becomes perfect and you never have to worry about anything ever again, but I can't. In fact, your burdens and pains and sins and failures are still going to be there. But as you are drawn into the presence of God, his love is too fierce and too complete to leave you unchanged. You are now dead to them. And I mean totally dead. And then 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Keyword, old is gone. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation to one another. Having died and been resurrected, you are a holy reconciler, set apart by God. You strive to find the strength to say, I'm sorry, or to love your enemy, or take one more step, or grit your teeth and deal with the pain. Because it does matter. Because you matter. And when you fail, you try again. Not because it's going to make, your ho- make you holier, or because God is going to somehow love you more but because you have come to realize the purpose of trying again is not about you. It's about all the one another's that are in your life. We carry our burdens because we are forgetful or maybe we're too stubborn. We just like the idea of looking like that we've got it all together and don't need anybody, including God, all of which denies the purpose behind a community of faith. You know, every human community is going to disappoint us. Every human community Yep, no matter how hard it tries, and that's the point of all of this, we are not striving to become perfect or practically perfect. We are striving to become people of grace. And in this striving, we learn to love one another the way that God loved us. And when we truly love one another, the burden and yoke is shared. And just as Jesus promised, it becomes easier and lighter because we're no longer bearing it alone. We realize we are not in competition with one another, nor do we have anything to prove except God's love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.